This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, True Pilot Stories from the World of General Aviation. In this episode, an unsuspecting cross-country pilot gets thumped by an F-16. Find out what happens in A Thump on Final by Mike Mercer. It was a flight I had done a number of times before. Fly a friend and his daughter to Purdue University stop in Lansing, Illinois for business, and fly home. I got my duots briefing through my electronic flight bag flight planning program, 72 pages, including some presidential TFRs in Chicago. I hand-plotted the TFRs and noticed two concentric rings with the same times and altitudes, but different radii. Odd. But all the TFRs were north of Lansing, so I gave it no further thought. I launched from Hagerstown, Maryland the next morning for Purdue University Airport. There were stiff headwinds at 10,000 feet. At least I would have some nice tailwinds for the trip home. My friend and I got his daughter to her dorm and grabbed a bite to eat on the way back to the airport. The EFB showed all clear for the flight to Lansing. It would be a short flight, so I opted to go VFR. The Purdue Tower cleared me to depart VFR, and I was over to Chicago to pick up flight following. The controller was just slammed with Chicago traffic, so I never could get in a flight-following request. Fortunately, the EFB with Stratus was picking up all the great ADSB information. No traffic conflicts, the current METAR at Lansing Municipal, no cumulus activity, and the TFRs were all north of Lansing. I still felt a bit naked not being in the system. I steered to the straight end to runway 36. The ATIS matched the FISB METAR, and the TISB showed no traffic. I made calls on the common traffic advisory frequency at 20, 15, and 10, and 5 miles out. I was on short final, gear down, full flaps, and right on my target airspeed. Without warning, the Baron abruptly yawed 15 degrees right, and there was a thunderous noise on the right side of the aircraft. I was standing on the rudder pedals to maintain directional control and managed to keep things more or less aimed at the runway. It was quickly apparent that the problem was not the right engine. I started thinking I had lost the utility doors on the right side of the cabin, but all was well. 
Everything returned to normal within a few seconds, and the noise was abating. The adrenaline was still pumping when I barked to my friend, What the blank was that? I did not have time to wait for a response, as I was already beginning to round out for landing. As we touched down, my friend, an Air Force officer, responded, It looks like an F-16. On the rollout, I got a look at the F-16 in full afterburner, climbing back to altitude and turning to circle the field. I concluded immediately that we had been thumped, an unauthorized procedure we used in the military that was designed to rattle and harass the pilot of an intercepted aircraft. I asked the FBO on the CTAF if there was a TFR over the field and got an affirmative response. I remember checking my iPad and later took a picture. Go figure, the ADSB display was still showing all the TFR rings north of Lansing. After further reflection, I realized my mistake that day in August 2012 was not taking a closer look at those odd concentric TFR rings when I reviewed my Duots briefing. It turned out the first line of the description of that first ring was at the end of part one of that six-part FDC notum. I started at the beginning of part two without realizing I was actually joining the second line of that first TFR ring and the first line of the second TFR ring and so on. I actually had to replot the rings a couple of times after the incident before I finally figured out what had tripped me up. I also got first-hand experience with the FAA's enforcement process. Over the next 18 months, my lawyer and I discovered a number of startling facts. Regarding the ADSB TFR display on my iPad, the FAA admitted that the ADSB broadcast was incomplete. The FAA regional administrator wrote that the FAA attempts to issue a graphical description of restricted airspace for the convenience of pilots. The FAA is not required to do so, and the absence of a graphical depiction does not render a published flight restriction invalid. My use of the EFB to obtain my DUOTS briefing was also ruled a violation of CFR 91.103A because it was not an FAA-approved source of pre-flight and safety-of-flight information. Apparently, the FAA's QICP certification of the reliability, accessibility, and security of the EFB's network infrastructure somehow did not apply to retrieving and delivering the FAA-approved DUOTS briefings. My pilot certificate was suspended for 30 days. I had filed a timely Aviation Safety Reporting System report, yet the FAA's attorney insisted the agency would not communicate its reasons for rejecting the waiver of penalty afforded by the ASRS program. My letters to the FAA administrator and formal fraud, waste, and abuse complaints were ignored. My lawyer and I concluded that appealing the matter would have cost considerably more than is offered by my basic AOPA legal services plan. We also did not believe we would get a different ruling, given the case history and almost no appeals ever overturning an FAA finding. The lesson I learned the hard way that day is that the multi-billion dollar ADSB capability, according to the FAA regional administrator, quote, is not to be used for real-time navigation, that it is only advisory, 
and that pilots should contact air traffic control or an FAA flight service station that provides weather and other safety information. Close quote. Think about that when you get an ADSB traffic alert. I wished I actually received a traffic alert before that F-16 almost caused me to lose control of my aircraft. The Never Again Podcast is brought to you by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out FlyQ, AOPA's integrated flight planning software, as well as the many free online training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely.